Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Three holes in the ground. Well, well, well. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. So we're just taking a journey. As a church, we standing on the word that God had gave us about our vision. Our vision is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. That's the key. That we would know him and we would share him. So this uh, autumn series is uh, just a snapshot. We're just dropping in on some parts of Jesus' life in John 4 that we might know him, know him better, so that when we speak to others or show others that Jesus is alive, it becomes very clear. And for them, they would also want to know him. Knowing Jesus, making Jesus known. We have life groups. Our life groups are meeting every week. They meet on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays. And if you're not part of a life group, you're very welcome to be part of a life group. You are invited to be part of a life group. We have iPads at the back that uh, just help you to sign up. And you can look at uh, the town and where the, the groups are on the map there. And you can say, well, that's the one I want to go to. And uh, as long as you're coming to mine, because I've got space in mine. So life groups happen every week. And at life groups, what we do is we revisit the passage and say, look, what, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to us specifically? So here today we are going to be looking at, uh, and this is, I'm just going to explain this one. Is This is like a, a helicopter tour. We're just going to fly over, drop in, lift up, go across, drop down, lift up, go across. So this isn't a word-by-word word exegesis of the passage. We're just going to drop in because what happens in your life group is that you will discover even more of what God is saying. Shakespeare's play. Does anybody remember Romeo and Juliet? I come across this, across this in, in one of the commentaries I was reading this week. And Romeo and Juliet, the nights were beautiful. The nights were beautiful. I read this week, the night Romeo first meets his lover. That's a night when that encounter happens. At night, he gazes on her in a balcony and summons his courage to talk to her. That happened at night. They enjoy a night of love together after their secret marriage by a monk. It all happens at night. Daytimes weren't so great. In contrast, the days were evil. The heat of the day, the Capulets and the Montagues waged war in daytime. Romeo accidentally kills Tybalt and during the day he is banished. Different situation in John's Gospel. Nicodemus comes at night. He comes at night. He's trying to get his mind around the reality of who Jesus is, so he comes at night, secretly. Nighttime, stuff goes on. Nighttime is when Judas leaves the upper room after the foot washing. It was at nighttime when Annas condemns Jesus to death. It was nighttime when Peter denies. Jesus. And here we have a situation where 
It's all happening, middle of the day. Bright sunshine, noon, the sixth hour. It's hot and it's sunny. And something's going to happen in daytime that's going to blow our minds. Here's our text. Our text is from John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Ah, this is brilliant, isn't it? Because we start straight away by saying, over here is a baptistry. Under these boards, there's a hole, and in that hole, we fill it up with water, and we do what Jesus says needs to be done. We baptise. If you've not been baptised, 28th of October, one month from now, 28th of October, that's the 30th of September, isn't it? So, anyhow, last Sunday in October, like this is the last Sunday of September, we're baptising. This is open, we will be baptising. So far we have two people who've asked to be baptised. This is happening on the 28th of October. This reminds me very clearly that baptism was not an optional extra. This was an important part of a disciple's journey. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you believe, then you need to be baptised. It's not negotiable, by the way. You need to be baptised. Here it goes. Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Now, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. Then the Lord learned this. He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He's on his journey back to Galilee. Now, the thing about it is, the journey goes through a place called Samaria. And if you notice here, it says this. It says, he had to go through Samaria. Uh, No, he didn't. He didn't need to go through Samaria. You see, Samaria was a place that was deemed as dirty, inaccessible. It was unclean to the Jews. And therefore, any association with the Samaritans, and I know we have another story in the Bible that talks about a good Samaritan. That was an oxymoron. But Samaria was a place that uh, the Jews avoided. And the journey would take half a week to get from where Jesus was down to where Jesus was going. And the normal thing to do was to make it last the whole week by going around Samaria. But we read here that he had to go through Samaria. Well, if the normal practice was to avoid it, and Jesus goes through it, that must mean that Jesus knows something. Jesus has been told something. We read in Scripture that he only ever did what his father told him to do. So here is a situation where Jesus is being obedient to the Father rather than tradition. Oh, how we need that move of God's disciples today that we would do what God tells us to do rather than what tradition or normal. We've always done it this way. Well, it's about time we stopped doing it that way. So Jesus is told that he's to go through. We believe that the Lord has spoken to him and says, go. This is where you have to go. He had to go. There was no way that the compelling work of the Holy Spirit upon him gave him a choice. Have you ever been in one of those situations where 
you decided that God was telling you to go somewhere and to do something that was contrary to your diary or your itinerary. What about if we... Now, this was a brilliant thing. This came up in a life group that I was leading on Wednesday. And the life group, one of the things was, what what about if we just did what God told us to do? What if we did what God told us to do? What if we sensed that I need to be somewhere where I hadn't decided that I was going that wasn't in my diary? What if somebody came to mind? This is how Holy Spirit leads his children. When God inspires, he then, he will drop in an image or he'll drop in a name. The number of times that I've responded to suddenly sensing somebody. And then when you send the message, either an email or a text, or you pick up the phone, or even if you drop round, you just say these words, you know, I just sense God saying that I needed to come and see you, or speak to you, or send you a message. And then they say something back and say, wow, that's fantastic, because I've just heard. And I may have heard some sad news or some glad news, or this has just happened, and I need help. You're the right person at the right time. Can I just ask for a testimony? Has that ever happened to you before? You've suddenly made a call, or you've suddenly gone somewhere that you hadn't planned, and it almost seemed like a, a God moment. Has anybody ever had that happen? I can put my hand up, because I've, I've done Oh, we've got a few. Okay, that's cool. I think God wants us all to do that. I think that's what sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is, is that we have to do things because the Spirit of God compels us in such a way that we've got no excuse. Do you know, sometimes you might open the Word of God, you read your Bible, and a phrase comes out to you that just says, I need to do something about this. Well, let me give you some insight. When you feel, I need to do something about this, Do something about it? Bit of a no-brainer. Do you know those people at Basin State Baptist Church, they just do the most bizarre stuff, but it looks so much like Jesus. How bizarre. Everybody else goes around Samaria, but Jesus goes through it because he had to go through. Maybe we need to, maybe I need to, to stop dodging the had-tos. Making God's priority my priority, God's priority our priority. Go on. So he came to a town in, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tried, as uh, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about the sixth hour, midday, sat down by the well. It's an interesting situation because Jacob's well, where that is, over it there's like this uh, solid, this big stone. And it's a stone and it's about that high off the ground. And I've been to see this and, uh, and it's like a big donut, big, huge donut, hole in the middle and that's where the uh, rope and the bucket type thing was lowered down. Jacob's well. So it's either Jesus comes and sits back against it on the ground or he sat on it. I've sat on it. 
and then sat down beside it to work out, I want to sit where Jesus sat. Where on here? So you then shuffle around, all the way around, to make sure, did I sit where Jesus sat? And he sat down. He sat down by the well or on the well, and it was hot. This is Jacob's well. This is where Jacob would have uh, watered his flocks. This is the place of encounter. This is where Jacob met his wife, Rachel. This land was given to Jacob. We read about that in Genesis 33. It was bequeathed to Joseph in Genesis 48. And in Genesis 20, um, 29, we read about the encounter with Jacob and his wife. It's a place of encounter. It's a place of legacy. It's a place... I, I'm, I love the way the Celtic Christians talk about thin places. Have you ever heard that term before? A thin place. A thin place is a place where there, sense, there seems to be a sense that there's no differentiation between heaven and earth. It's a place of, of the miraculous. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of connecting with God. Do you know, my prayer is that we would host a thin place right here. That we might have a place of encounter, like the well where Jesus sat down. It seems that God loves geography. And where he's done stuff in the past, he looks like he'll do it again, or desires to do it again. But he also likes to start new works, fresh beginnings. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this notice downtown. So this is a plaque put in place by the Basingstoke Heritage Society. It was, it was put up on the wall. The, the pub there is Tonic. Has anybody ever drunk in Tonic? Really? Good on you, well done. <laughs> tonic. Um, it used to be called the King's Head. It was called the King's Head back in um, about 1730-ish. It was the King's Head. On the London Road, right next door to the URC Church. When you come tonight for the prayer meeting and the worship time with one church at 7 o'clock at the URC church. As you go towards the URC church, the URC church is here. If you're looking at the front doors of the URC church, look right, you'll see Tonic, and there's the sign there on the wall. And it says this, it says that the Reverend George Whitfield preached publicly at this site, formerly the King's Head, on the 8th of February, 1739. This was the first time on non-church premises that he preached at the start of the Great Awakening. George Whitfield, in the early 18th century, preached in a pub. And people talk about that as being a catalyst. Something started. If you follow through history about the Great Awakening, this is where there seemed to be a, an astonishingly powerful, miraculous move of the Holy Spirit amongst people's lives. The Great Awakening was a place where people would go to work and would break down in tears, whilst at work for no reason and have no idea why. And then somebody would say, you need to come to the meeting tonight at the church. And as they would go to the church, they would find the presence of God so powerfully that people would be turning to Christ 
in their hundreds, if not thousands. The Great Awakening kicks off here with George Whitfield and then he goes back over to America and he's whizzing around in America. Wesleys are over here carrying stuff on. There is such a powerful move of God. But it has to start somewhere. I'd never quite worked out the Great Awakening of the early 18th century started in Basingstoke. So I say today, let's dig that well again. Let's dig that well again. When people in a pub were coming to Christ on London Road in Basingstoke under the preaching of George Whitfield, let's have some more. Do it again, Lord. Let's see that this is a place. This town is a place of encounter. This town is a thin place where people come and are exposed to the presence of God and drawn in to a relationship with him. This is us in our town. Do you know that? I I was a little bit excited about this. Is anybody else excited about that? I'm excited about this. This is an amazing stoke. The fire of God fell on blazing stoke. Come on, Holy Spirit, do it again. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. This is an interesting issue. It's midday, it's hot. People don't go and draw water in the heat of the day. What is she doing on her own? Usually the women either go early in the morning when it's still cool, or later at night, when it's cool, to go and get water. You're going to have to carry a jar of water, maybe on your head, all the way back to the town. It's uncomfortable, it's dirty, it's dusty, and you wouldn't go at midday, unless you were a woman who was being shunned by society, who was being rejected. Maybe her lifestyle is not quite in line with what people see as respectable. In a moment, we'll find out that she has had five husbands. And the person she's with at the moment is not her husband. So it comes to lunchtime. It's midday. The sun is beating down. Jesus is resting against the well. And a woman turns up. Maybe a woman of some disrepute. It is a bigger problem, though. Number one, Jesus is in Samaria. Samaria is a place to be avoided. It's a place of the unclean. Number two, he sat by a well and a woman is coming towards him. He is a rabbi. He is a teacher. By the law, he needs to remove himself 20 paces away from a woman. You see, the whole thing about rabbis is that they were keeping themselves clean. Any connection with women in public was frowned upon. Yet here is Jesus the rabbi resting against a well. A woman comes. Not only does he not jump up and move 20 paces away, he starts a conversation. I think she's as surprised as we are, really. And here's the conversation starter. He says, will you give me a drink? Have you ever thought to yourself... I would love, how do I help to share the faith that I have with people around me? Here's here's a good way. 
Do you fancy going out for a coffee? Once upon a time, we used to say, let's go down the pub. But there's not so many pubs around, and most pubs these days are, are, are places of food rather than just drinking. Do you want to go out for a drink? Do you want to go for a coffee? Do you know, sometimes it just takes one person to make an effort to cross over into somebody else's life in a relaxed environment where you can feel that you can share anything. I've been thinking about you. Hey, how about us getting a coffee? How about us meeting up down the pub? I I think it was something like that that was going on. Here is an encounter, and it all starts with a request for a drink. There's a challenge for us. Let's not focus on what should be dividing us from other people, as it could have been with Jesus and this Samaritan woman, but let's look at how maybe we can reconnect. And maybe that needs a coffee. There's Starbucks, there's Costas, there's the dome over the road. Let's reconnect with people. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. She's really laying it on here. How can you ask me for a drink? Well, you're not even meant to be speaking to me. The Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's cool. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, and everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, when we look at these verses, and this is what we're going to be doing this week in life groups, I'm not going to unpack all of this because... I think this will lead to some interesting questions and conversations. What is this living water? What is he talking about here? And one of the things that you pull out of of this, which I think is is so brilliant, is the way that Jesus takes the life-changing relationship that he desires that we all know that Father God wants to have with us and brings it into the reality. You see, when Jesus talks to tax collectors... He brings in illustrations of money. When he's talking to the fisherman, he talks about fish. And here he is with a woman who's gone to get some water, and he brings water in as the focus of the conversation. How relative Jesus is. God starts to speak. And starts to touch a person's life. Let me give you an illustration. I remember waking up over many nights at around two o'clock in the morning. And I shared this at a, a fraternal, a gathering of ministers. And uh, I said, you know, I always seem to be waking up about two o'clock in the morning. And this was when we were in Bex Hill. 
And one of the guys there just says, oh, you do realise that at two o'clock in the morning, the witch's coven finishes their meeting. And the last thing the witch's coven do is they pray against the Christian ministries and the ministers of this town. Two o'clock. With that information, I was able to do something about it. So when I wake up at two o'clock in the morning, I spend a few moments just speaking prayerfully against every contradiction that those people who are not seeking God's best would have over our community. I remember hearing a story of a man whose uh, friend or work colleague was again, was being woken up and he was waking up at 4.14. 4.14 every morning. And he just happened to say to his buddy, he says, I just keep waking up. And every time I wake up, I look at the clock and the clock says 4.14. I said, oh, I think about this. That must have a meaning. And then he came across this scripture in John 4.14. But whoever drinks the water I give to him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to him will come in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this guy says to his friend, I think you are being woken at 4.14 because of this verse. God is desiring to fill you with his living water. It's personal. He wants you to know that he's for you and he's going to fill you and it's going to overflow out of you. Living water. That's what God wants to bring into our lives, that we would have an encounter with him that would transform us because it's not dry and starchy, it is refreshing, it is new, it is transforming. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It must be nasty going midday on your own to get water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you may have, you now have, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Do you know, one of the most powerful ways that God uses us to share his love with others is through the prophetic words and through words of knowledge. Do you notice in this situation, the woman didn't tell Jesus anything about her life in any detail, but he was able to read her mail and then speak directly into her life. How about the fact that God has given you that same ability, that he's filled you with his Holy Spirit, that you will be able to know things that you don't know and be able to share those things with others. This is what it says in the book of Corinthians. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So each of us have got this, and it's not just for us, it's for all. The manifestation of the Spirit. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. To one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It seems that God has this amazing gathering of gifts that he wants to give out to people to use for his honour and his glory. Jesus meets this woman at a well and reads her life. 
And it's as if, suddenly, for her, she is transfixed. I'm encountering somebody that's not just a human, but somebody who knows something far, far more. Let me give you a little challenge. What about if we sought God? What about if we so pressed into God and invited God by his Holy Spirit to so fill us that these gifts would overshadow us, fill us, and then flow out from us? And here's something that I got excited about. How about if we had a stall at the psychic fair. Every person who goes to a meeting like this, which is only up the road, every person has tuned themselves in somehow to the spiritual aspect of our lives. Every single person that goes through the doors of this fair is looking for something beyond themselves. And that one who is beyond themselves is Jesus and he wants to come and dwell within them. So what about Basingstoke Baptist Church? What about us having a stall at the psychic fair? Why don't we take the truth when everybody else is sharing that which is counterfeit? How about us laying hands on the sick and seeing them get well at the psychic fair? How about us having words of knowledge? How about us prophesying over people? This looks like it would probably be the most amazing place to see the power of God at work. It's almost like Jesus would go to a forbidden land and meet somebody who he shouldn't go near and transform her life. Do you know, most people would say, you know, we should steer clear of all this stuff. Have you heard that? But let me just say, the one who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. You have a greater power than any of people in this sort of place have. The only thing about it is that we shy away from using it. So if you would like to join me on a team to go to the next psychic fair, we'll spend some time together. We'll equip ourselves, we'll pray into it, and we'll go and see what God does. Come on, there we go. It's me and Ali then. (laughs) But isn't this what God does? He speaks to a woman and tells her about stuff that he would not know unless he'd been told by God himself. And the same God who spoke through his spirit into his son and communicated to that lost lady is the same God who's put his spirit in you and filled you that it would overflow like living water into the lives of I'm going to stop there. There's much more that we're going to be looking at on Monday, Wednesday or Friday. But I think that this is a good point to stop because I believe that God just wants to stir something up in us that we wouldn't be a people who just listen but we would be a people who step out and begin to do You are surrounded day by day by women from the well. 
They're your neighbours, they're your friends, they're even your family members. And Jesus' desire is that each and every one would come to know the Father. And know that God's desire for them is that they would know him, be aware of his love, be reconciled to God. That the separation that sin brings in would be removed because of what Jesus did upon the cross and the relationship would flourish and blossom and grow. Are you willing to go to Samaria? Because Samaria might just be next door. Are you willing to go to Samaria? It might be the place where you go to work. It might be that place where hobbies are shared and crafts are crafted. It might be a place like a psychic fair. That excites me. Let's stand together. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you that your word uh, just lifts the lid on your heart. We recognize in your word this morning that you go the extra distance to encounter those that most people push to the side. Thank you, Lord, that your love is a love that transforms. And as the story goes on, we recognize that this woman becomes one of the greatest evangelists in the New Testament. I just ask, Lord, today that you would reassure us of how much you know us and love us. And that you would so stir us in the very core of our beings that we would be willing to step out of our comfort zone and into these battlefields where we might see people saved, healed, delivered and blessed. This coming week, Lord, would you highlight to us individuals? Would you prompt us in the actions that we should take? Would you mobilise us to be a people who say, let's go and have a coffee and see those spiritual conversations begin but see lives transformed and you glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.